Welcome to the Fiscal Fitness Podcast, where personal finance is about the person, not the numbers, and budget isn't a four-letter word anymore. And here are your co-hosts, financial coaches, Julie Manuel and Jacqueline Wise. Cool. Hello, 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 everyone. It has been a while. I think we didn't do our FCB last month. We totally missed it because uh, I had COVID and was traveling and it was just insane. So here we are. It is March already. And Coach Jacqueline and I are back. We're excited to be doing another FC Beat. This month, we are talking all about kids and money. If you've been following along on the business page, seeing the blog posts, all of our social media posts have been related to kids and money. And we've had some great questions inside of the Facebook group that we thought we would address today during this Facebook Live. So Hi, Coach Jacqueline. Hi, Coach Jill. It's so great to have you back in the land of the living again. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it is wonderful to be back. Um, As always, we like to start our uh, FC Beats with a joke. And so I found a really great springtime (laughs) joke for you, Jacqueline. Are you ready for this? I'm so excited. Okay. Do you think February likes March? I think February likes March. Um, no, but I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) It may not, but April, May. Oh my God. So corny. You're like a dad, Jill, with all these dad jokes. (laughs) Oh, you know it. (laughs) (laughs) So as we get things kicked off, I, I don't know. I haven't really even talked to you much, Jacqueline, because I was traveling and I'm so curious what you've been up to for the last month. So why don't you give us all a quick update on just what the goings on are in your life? Um, just to kind of catch us all up. It's been a while. Yeah, absolutely. So nothing like super big or super exciting going on with me, which is okay. I was okay for a few months of no travel, stay at home, you know, hunker down and survive the worst of winter. But Ohio is finally warming up. We've had like some exceptionally sunny days. Today is not one of them, unfortunately, (laughs) but it's just been so nice to get outside, to go for multiple walks a day with Buckeye. Yesterday I wore flip-flops. I know everyone in Arizona is like, I've been wearing flip-flops, but it was the first day with flip-flops yesterday for me. And that was just such a joy. Um, Another thing that happened last month is we launched our new version of our course for financial coaches. And so there was like a lot of time that we spent, you know, going into that. So it really felt like we were in like project mode, project mode, project mode. We launched it. It's wonderful. We're getting such great feedback on it. So it's been really fun to get to see all of that. And other than that, I'm just really excited because our governor announced that everyone in the state is eligible for the vaccine the last day of the month. And I'm ready for it. I'm ready to like get back out in the world and travel all the time. And so I'm just super excited for that update in Ohio. So that's what's going on in Ohio. What's going on with you in Phoenix? Oh, well, you know, flip flop life, all of that good stuff. Yes, it is. It is not winter here, even though it's been a little bit colder than normal, but March is normally one of my favorite months of the year. It's like the perfect springtime weather, normally 80 degrees, sunny, not hot yet. It's just perfect. Um, but yeah, I, uh, what is happening? I, like I mentioned was sick for almost an entire month. So I'm finally better. Thank goodness. 
I had the flu. I had COVID. I had double pneumonia. It was a heck of a month. Our whole family was sick, but we're all recovered, healthy, feeling really great now. Thank goodness. Um, it was a triple whammy, as we would say here at Fiscal Fitness for you. Totally. Like it was just one thing after the next. I felt like you were sick for three years is how I, I felt. felt like it. So. <laughs> I felt like it too. Um, so nice to be on the other side of that. And I got better, thank goodness, just in time because Coach Kelsa and I had planned a trip almost, I don't know, seven months ago or something to go to Tulum, Mexico on a retreat with our fitness coach. And it was the best. We just got back a couple of weeks ago. We were there for eight days. It was amazing. Um, it was really one of those bucket list trips. I've been stalking this uh, retreat for almost three years. So wow. I really was like, I want to go someday. And being able to do it this year was really, really cool. I I will say you guys that I was in Tulum and I was getting messages on Instagram and it was from people like, so tell me how you budgeted for this trip or like, what deals did you get to go on it? And I was laughing because the beauty of budgeting and planning ahead with your money is that you don't always have to be like frugal and shopping for the best deals and all of that. Like this was truly not a discount trip by any means. It was what it was. This woman runs a retreat every year. Her price is her price. Like, and it was one that it was, uh, you know, the ability to seize the moment when registration opened for it to jump on it because we've spent so many years budgeting and putting money aside for travel is just a normal part of our life. And because we have money put away for travel, we can go and travel when we want to. So um, I'm sure that I disappointed some people when I was like, I didn't use any like travel website or there was no real discount. Like I just paid to go on the retreat. Uh, but that is truly like one of the things that we help our clients with is that it's not all about being frugal and constantly losing, using coupons and shopping for the best deals. If you learn to manage your money, well, you can splurge and you can do the really cool, fun bucket list things and not have to worry about pinching every penny while you do it. Yeah. I love that Jill. So many of my clients recently, you know, our, our very first session with most of our clients is called a Eureka session. And we have had tons of them recently and we are finding all these clients who really just have this passion for travel. And it is one of my favorite things to talk to them about, because like you, I love to plan ahead, save ahead of time for travel, and then really, you know, have the freedom to choose to splurge out of what I've already saved for that travel. So yeah. I'm so happy to hear that you got to do one of those big bucket list trips. I mean, thinking about this for three years, it probably was just a dream come true to be there. And the pictures were phenomenal mm -hmm. and looked gorgeous. It was, it was amazing. Yes. So really, really fun thing to get to experience and just a cool place to go and to be with my, one of my best friends for an entire week, like with no one else to take care of, no kids to, you know, <laughs> I love being with them, but gosh, it was nice to like, not have to herd them and feed them and clean up after them. <laughs> so it was a right. Nice right. Yes. Yeah. What would you say was your highlight of the trip, Jill? What was like the most fun thing you did? Um, oh, the most fun thing. So there, I would say there were two highlights and they're very different. So one highlight was that I did a photo shoot while I was in Tulum. So any of you that have been following me, I started working with a fitness coach almost a year ago 
And I, I'm in the best shape of my life since then. Like it has been absolutely amazing. And something that she really encouraged me to do was once a year to book a physique photo shoot to sort of like capture all of the progress to see how much you've been able to really like change your fitness level and all of that. And so that was something I chose to do while I was in Tulum because beautiful backdrop for it, right? You just oh, yeah. any better. Um, and it was, it was a really cool experience. It was very, um, awkward and uncomfortable. I will also <laughs> say that because the photographer wants you to be like looking, you know, a little bit sexy and all of that. And that is not my normal sort of way of being. I'm much more comfortable in my sports bra and like <laughs> leggings and gym attire. Um, so it was definitely very out of my comfort zone, but I always think those experiences are great. Like it makes us stretch. It makes us, uh, be a little bit vulnerable, try something different And the pictures he captured were beautiful. So they it really was, were. it was a really cool experience. So that was really fun. The other thing that I really loved from the trip was that we got to have private, uh, personal training with, uh, the woman who runs the program, her husband. Um, and his name is John Jack Barrett. Anyone who follows like bodybuilding, he has been number one in the world the last two years. So he is the number one bodybuilder for WBSF in the entire world. Just, I mean, so much knowledge, so amazing and such a great coach, like really down to earth, really could identify all of the different like cues that a person might need to improve their lifts. And that's something that I've really been working on is just growing my strength. And it was so cool getting to work with a true elite athlete and coach and get his feedback, like something that I never would be able to do otherwise. So that was a big highlight too. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. I thought for sure it was going to be when you were lifting Kelsa and that like, Oh, that too. Oh my gosh. The jungle gym. Yes. (laughs) Go check out my Instagram. You guys, you'll see me lifting Kelsa in a basket. Um, there's a gym that's right on the beach and it's all like bamboo pulleys and wood dumbbells and like it ropes. And yeah, there's a basket that people can sit in and you can do lat pull downs. It was really fun. (laughs) It looked like fun. It looked like fun. Well, yay. I'm glad you had such an amazing trip, especially after how sick you were like what a nice way to shift back to normal life to have that trip instead of, you know, just generally recovering from all of the things, all of the illnesses. So yes. Yeah. It was great. So let's shift gears. Shall we, why don't you introduce what we're going to be chatting about today? Yeah. So, you know, we have changed up the format of our FC beat and we're doing different things every month. So this month we really wanted to tackle some of the questions that have been posed in our Facebook group or that we've been getting on our Instagram posts and Instagram stories when we've been sharing some of these strategies for budgeting for kids or budgeting for babies, or even teaching your children how to manage their money well. And so what we're going to do in this episode is I'm actually going to interview coach Jill, because not only is she an amazing financial coach, she is a wonderful mom, a terrific (laughs) parent. And so she has some really great insights for us on these questions and we are going to dive right in. So one of the questions we got on Instagram, Jill, is at what age is it good to get a debit card for a kiddo? So what are your thoughts on that question? 
Yeah, I, I do think that's a really big question. We get it all the time, actually, from our clients and in the Facebook group, we'll have people that ask us. And I think it's not only an age issue, but it also is how have your kids already been introduced to money? So have they had experience using money already? Or is this the first time that you're introducing them with, to the concept of having their own control over money? We really believe that it's best to introduce kids, no matter what age, to tangible cash first. So we really want them to understand the value of money, how to be responsible with that, how to like understand to keep track of it and not just throw money on a table somewhere and walk away and lose track of it. Because once they have a debit card, they really do need to be responsible for that. If they leave it laying around somewhere, someone can compromise their account. They can take that card and go use it and spend it somewhere else. So we want our kids to be very responsible with their money before they get their hands on a debit card. Um, so, you know, the, the age is kind of irrelevant. It's introducing them to that concept first. So they understand what money is. Yeah. I think that's super important. And I think like them even understanding that to get things at the store, I have to give something up. So yes. that tangible cash being the first step yes. rather than just thinking like, all I do is swipe this card. It's, it's an abstract concept. And yeah. something I know, like from my background as a teacher is that first children learn concretely yes. and then they get to abstract. So the more that we can make things visual and hands-on for them at first, the better off it is. Yeah, so. that's so true. That was the other thought that I had too, is that they need to really be able to understand that, that a debit card is so intangible. And I even remember from being a kid, like I remember my parents going to an ATM machine and I just thought that like, anytime you inserted a card to an ATM, it just gave you money. However much you wanted to ask for was how much it would give you. I didn't understand that it was like linked to real money that my parents had in the bank. And it wasn't just this limitless amount that they could request anytime that they wanted. And so right. as kids, you know, you don't quite understand that full concept. If you haven't had your own money, you can see how much it is, how much value is there. Uh, be able to, you know, connect that to the things that you want to buy. So once your children are really demonstrating that skill that they can see, I have $10 cash. This thing I want to buy is $8. I know I can pay for it. I'm going to get some money back or it's going to use all of my money or more than what I have. Like they need to be able to make those sort of judgments before you introduce a debit card, which feels much more abstract for them and isn't something that they're going to always be able to see exactly how much is there. Yeah. Great point. I think I would add on to that. Like when you do decide that it's the right time to get a debit card for your kiddo, having a debit card, I mean, most banks now have apps, but having a debit card where there's an app or something that they can pull up either on your phone or their phone so they can see the balance too. And they can know like, here's how I responsibly make a spending decision based on the amount that's in there now that it is more abstract. Some debit cards at Ally also allow um, certain like rules that you can put in place if it's your child's card. So like you can have a spending cap per day or per week or per month or things like that too. So definitely check out if there are some like different parameters, different guidelines you can put in place 
for that spending card. If you're going to get a debit card for your kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. We get a lot of questions about that too, of like what card to use, or, you know, should you pay for something special? And there are some that are very specific for children, like the green light debit card, which is really marketed specifically to parents and children. Same with FAMZOO is another one, F-A-M-Z-O-O. So they have their own like family sort of debit cards that you can use. But I know most of the larger banks now, even the credit unions have some really great features that they're offering specifically for kids and linking it to parents, being able to put controls in place. Um, the, the ones that are marketed for kids like Greenlight and FAMZOO, those for sure you can set up like X amount for chores. If you want to link to chores, I'm not personally a big proponent of doing that, but I know some people are, you can restrict what websites they can shop at, what stores they can shop at. You can transfer extra money if they do something extra. So you could add in like, you know, an extra project around the house that maybe isn't a normal chore, but you want your kids to like, you know, help with the landscaping outside or something and put it on there with a dollar amount. And if they complete it, then they're going to earn that money for completing the chore. That's um, really cool. So there's a lot of those features. Sometimes people will, you know, really uh, worry about the fees associated with it, right? Because I don't love paying extra fees either. And a lot of these kid debit cards do have a monthly fee or an annual fee that's associated with it. Um, and I think that ultimately you want to find a card that has all of the features that you want. And if it just so happens to be one that has a $5 a month fee or something like that, I look at that as an investment in my child's education. They're learning to be responsible with money and I'm helping them to do so. And if it's going to cost me $5 a month while they're a kid to pay for that, that's really probably not the end of the world. So yeah. Great point. So what I'm hearing in all of this is whenever I have human children, I can really nerd out on (laughs) all these different features that I can put on their debit cards. Oh my goodness. Can you even imagine (laughs) all of the features? You don't need a card for your fur baby Buckeye. You could, you know, with the green light ones, you can put their picture on it. It can have a cute little Buckeye picture. (laughs) How fun. fun. Yeah. No, Buckeye does not need a a spending card just yet. So Maybe a savings account is another thing, but a spending card, not yet. So, all right, let's go on to our next question. So the next question we got was in our Facebook group. What percentage of your budget should be allocated for daycare was the question. Oh, daycare, the dreaded expense when you have young children, right? Um, I, my first thought when I saw this is we do not believe in allocating percentages of income to expenses. So I want to make that very, very clear that with the fiscal fitness philosophy, we do not believe in assigning percentages that everyone should follow. I don't think that that's a good rule of thumb for people. I think it sets you up for comparison to others. It limits what's important to you. You may not be putting as much money towards the things that you value the most because you're trying to put a cap of a percentage on it. And let's be honest here. Childcare is expensive. And also though, it can really range based on where you live, what part of the country you're in, whether you're in a metropolis area or in a very rural area. I know when our kids were very young, just for a point of comparison, our children, two boys in daycare full-time, we spent over $20,000 in one year for their daycare expenses. It 
it makes me sick to think of that, but we're in Phoenix, we're in a big metropolis area. Cost of childcare is very expensive here. And my sister, she has two boys also that were, they live in a tiny little rural town in rural Nebraska. And her two boys were in daycare at the exact same time. And she was paying $150 a week for both of them. So she's paying $600 a month and we were paying almost $2,000 a month. So big difference based on that, both with two boys, same ages almost, but very different like cost of living in the areas that we were in, very different expectations around that. So that's one of the reasons that I just don't believe percentages are a wise way to make decisions because either you wind up overspending because you think like, oh, I'm as long as I spend up to this percentage, I'm doing good. And you might spend far more than what you really need to, or you're looking at this number and thinking, I'm doing everything wrong. There's no way that I can hit this dollar amount. Like my expenses are much higher and you feel like you're failing at something. So I do not believe percentages are a good way. So let's talk about some questions that you can ask yourself though, or some solutions or ways to navigate childcare expenses because they can be really hefty. And the person who asked this said, I feel like I'm spending way too much. Believe me, I felt that way when we had the year where we spent over $20,000 for two kids. It was brutal. It was painful. We didn't do anything. We didn't eat out. We didn't travel. We like, we had no money for anything else because so much was going to childcare during those years. And the reality is that that might just be the case for some of you with young children that while those kids are so young, if you're in a very high cost of living area and childcare expenses are high, you might just have to live with the fact that childcare is going to be really expensive, but it's not going to be forever. It's a finite period of time. Thank goodness our kids keep growing. They become more independent. At some point, they don't need full-time childcare. Um, but it can be hard, right? So, okay. Definitely hard. And I'll add on to that, that we put a post up a couple of weeks ago about how to also navigate when your kids are ending their time in daycare and some important things to think about, like when that expense is leaving your budget as well. So definitely go back and look on our Facebook page or on Instagram for that post. If you want to see some more tips about how to you know, navigate that because all of a sudden we think, oh my, I'm getting all this money, but we're forgetting about like sports and dance lessons and all the things that kind of happen as they transition into being an older kid or a slightly older kid. So uh, definitely go find that post and check those out. So yes. Yes. All right. Ready for the third question, Coach Jill? No. Oh, no. (laughs) Yay. Okay, great. Don't stop me yet. I'm not stopping you. So I had a few things for someone to think about though, when they're looking at childcare expenses, because just to finish addressing her, you know, um, question about feeling as though she's spending too much. These are some things to think about or research, look into if you are trying to cut some costs when it comes to daycare. So one of them is simply to look at other preschools in your area. So I know for us, we initially were paying for like a bigger, Montessori daycare, we paid that expense and decided to really look around and see what other options there were. We found something through a local church. We weren't affiliated with that church, but they did have a daycare and the cost was substantially less. 
they also offered more flexibility than a lot of the bigger chain daycares or preschools offered where you could choose to just do three days or do shorter days and they would adjust the rate based on that. So I do think it's really worth researching what all of the options are. A lot of times we find a school and we want to just stick with that one, but if it feels like the expense is detrimental to getting anything else done, it is really worth looking to see what other options are out there, whether it be a private school, a public school, a church offered daycare, an in-home daycare. We also used those when our boys were really young um, and it worked out great for the most part. You know, it was a lot less expensive than putting them into a bigger daycare. Uh, we also have personally used a nanny, um, which I, you know, I think that there's oftentimes this idea of like a nanny costs so much and it's going to be a lot more, but really try to crunch the numbers and look at it. It depends on how much you need. But for us, we started using a nanny when the kids were both in school and the nanny would pick them up from school because my husband and I were both working. So we didn't have to pay for the after school cost, the tuition that you would have to keep them there for X amount of hours afterwards. The nanny would pick them up from school, take them home, get them a snack, do their homework with them, and then like take them to the park or do something active. So by the time that my husband and I got home from work, we didn't have to spend the whole evening doing their homework with them. We could actually focus on family time and the cost was less than what after school care would have been for us. Okay. So definitely something to worth, look, worth looking into. Also just see if there's a friend or a family member or someone else in the neighborhood, either who can help with, you know, childcare watching or that you can swap back and forth, or maybe you can split the cost of a nanny together. If they, you know, if someone has one or two kids and you have one or two kids, like maybe one nanny could handle all three or four of them and you could share the expense of it to keep it a little bit lower. So definitely some ways to get creative with that. Um, another thing that I think is worth looking into is how can you shift your work hours? Does your work have any flexibility about doing four 10 hour days where you wouldn't have to pay for daycare five days a week? You might be able to shave one day a week off. My husband and I also did that. And it really did help to cut down on childcare expenses. You know, if you can be really strategic with it and you have a spouse or partner, if you each got on four or 10 hour days or someone working weekends, you could dramatically reduce the amount of days that you actually needed to have coverage. So maybe you're only paying two or three days a week versus all five. So that is something else that we personally did implement when our kids were very young to try to keep those costs down a little bit. Um, and of course it depends on your employer and flexibility with that, but worth looking into worth asking the question. Yeah, definitely. Any other strategies with this, Jill? So the last thing that I'll put on this list is that if your workplace offers a flex spending account for childcare, I highly recommend using it. These are pre-tax dollars that you get to use to spend on your childcare. So I just always assume anytime that you're getting a flex spending account, assume you're getting a 15% discount on the cost of that service. So that would shave 15% off of your childcare right there by using pre-tax dollars it is a no brainer to use it. If you have regular childcare expenses to max out that flex spending account, be able to use it to reimburse yourself with pre-tax dollars for any childcare expenses. Okay, great. So what I was hearing is look into other options, like maybe some preschools instead of just full-time daycare, potentially look into a nanny, some like in-home care, or even splitting that 
consider like shifting your work hours was the third strategy and fourth, take advantage of your FSA if you have one. So, okay. So if you're taking notes, that was your little recap there. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right. Anything else to add with this one, coach Jill? I think that's it for that one. Okay. So here's question number three. And we had another question in our Facebook group. How do you feel about chores and allowance? And you already started alluding to this one. And he added on, I don't necessarily expect to pay them to do chores, but do you deduct from allowance if they don't? Yeah. Oh, I love talking allowance, you guys. And I was putting notes together for this and there I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts (laughs) and things to add here. So for those of you that do have kids and are thinking about allowance, we have another podcast episode. It's episode number 53, where we interview allowance expert, John Lanza. So he does give a lot of really good tips and insights and thoughts when it comes to allowance and how you might want to use it. So go and listen to that one. Also, I'm going to talk about some of my own experience with my own kids, what I've seen with clients, kids, what we have tried that's worked well and not worked well so that you guys can kind of get a feel for what some of that is. Um, But I think that ultimately you want to decide as a parent, what you want the purpose of allowance to be. Do you want your allowance to be like teaching your child to have a job? So if that's the case, then you do want to link it to chores because you have to do the job to get paid. I don't want to use allowance in that way. I think our kids are going to learn to have a job one way or another, or I want them to be an entrepreneur and not figure out how to work for a paycheck. You know, I want them to like, not necessarily make that connotation of like, you have to work really hard to get paid something at the end of the week, but we want to use allowance to teach our kids about money how to use money, how to be responsible with money. That is the purpose of allowance in our household. It was not always that way. I will say we definitely made some trial and error, you know, experiments along the way to land on what we've been doing now, which has worked really well for the last few years. But when we started, we did do exactly what this person is asking. We tied their allowance to chores because we kind of thought like, that's what it, is there for. We didn't really know any other way. And I want to share with you a little bit about why that didn't work very well for us. Okay. So one of the things that we found is that it is a lot of work to keep track of the amount of chores that our kids were doing, who completed what, who didn't complete what, like every week we had to print out a, you know, a new list of chores what was expected for everyone to be done. They were, you know, having to mark down if they did the thing or if they didn't do the thing. And we'd have to be constantly giving reminders about it and trying to go back and like think through, did you actually do this this week or didn't you, or did your brother do it? It was just so much headache to keep on top of. So if you want to be an accountant and have to like keep track of all of that and deduct out all the things that need to be deducted, go for it. We found that it was very tedious, a lot of work, a lot of headache. Um, So not only was there that, okay, so it was just a lot of you need to be really committed and be very diligent about documenting what is truly being done. But the other thing that would happen is that as the week went on, they would see that they didn't complete some of the chores and know they were going to get like a ding for that. They were getting a deduction from their allowance. And so 
every time that we did give allowance, it was a very negative experience. So for my kids, they were constantly disappointed because they felt bad about themselves because they didn't get everything done. And they were being reminded that they didn't perform up to expectations. Okay. They were also disappointed because $2 or $3 just does not feel all that exciting. Right. So they're like, great, here we go. $2 whoop de doo you know? And then as the parent, every week felt really bad for us also, because it's almost like we're scolding our child every single week because they didn't get everything done. So it was just a really negative sort of energy around it. Every time that we went to pay allowance, it was like a reminder of all of the bad things that had happened all week, rather than an acknowledgement of the things that went right. So we did not like the way that that felt, the dynamic that it created. The other thing that we saw that happened was that because their allowance wound up being so small, right? It was like always a little bit dismal when we paid it out because there was a lot of things that just weren't getting done. And because they got so little, the kids didn't really care about it that much. And so as the months went on, their commitment to actually doing the chores became less and less and less because they didn't really care if they were getting that money anyway. Cause they're like, it's $2, who cares? Why am I even doing anything, right? So they didn't care about following through. Okay. So lots of reasons why this particular model did not really work well for your kids here. So Jill has tried it all. She's tried all the things. (laughs) She has just saved you months and months of headache and accounting and all of that frustration. So yeah. The other thing too, with like, you know, they would only get $2. And they, they would burn through the money immediately. Like as soon as they had it, because they couldn't connect it to anything meaningful, right? Like if they wanted a hundred dollar Lego set, let's say, and they got an allowance of $3, the thought of like, how long will it take me to save a hundred dollars felt so impossible for them to reach that they didn't care about saving for anything substantial. They were like, okay, I got two bucks. Let's go to the store and buy a hot wheel and a candy bar and I'm done. And then they had no money all week long again. And they always talked about how they never had any money and they were always broke. So that was another thing that happened because they weren't getting enough really for their allowance. All lessons you probably did not want your children to feel like, like I'm always broke. Yeah. We're like, this is literally teaching my children everything. I don't want them to know about money. We need to change this right now. (laughs) So what we wound up doing a few years ago is that we shifted our focus. We really wanted to make sure that they were getting allowance consistently enough that they saw it was worthwhile to have. And you know, that we were doing so in a way that was easier for us to maintain, that gave them a sense of control around it, that they knew with, you know, certainty that they would see more money coming into their life. Because I think in the first scenario, they always doubted, like, am I ever going to really have money? I don't really think so. So we shifted it to where they got $1 per year of age every week. So right now my boys are nine and 12. So the nine-year-old gets $9 every week. And the 12 year old gets $12 every week and they consistently, no matter if they do chores or not, get paid that amount every single week. And the expectation for them is that this is your money. You pay for your own stuff with it. So no asking and begging mom and dad, when we go to the store, like the immediate benefit of this was that they no longer were whining in the cash register line. 
Like, can we have candy? Can we please, 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 please? Can we go buy a Hot Wheel? Please, 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 please. Like all of that immediately disappeared once we started giving them consistent allowance because we could say, that's what your allowance is for. Is that what you want to spend it on? And that's brilliant, Joe. Yes. I love that. Yes. So they could immediately start really evaluating what do they want to do with their money? And it is amazing how much less they actually want when they're the ones that have to pay for it. <laughs> so, you know, it's like before we would constantly be like, fine, just, you know, grab the hot wheel, we're get, put it in the car. It's not worth the argument for $1, but we we're just, you know, it's annoying to hear that every single time you go to the store, it's frustrating. It's exhausting. Once they had to make the decision for themselves, though, they would be like, hmm, do I want this or can I wait a little bit or is there something else that I want more? So it really shifted the way they thought about money and the pride that they took in the things that they purchased because they were theirs. I love that. I'm super curious, like, how do you give them the money? Is it cash that they get every week or is it a debit card? Like, how are you doing it? Yeah, we, we are still on cash. So we still do cash. Um, I will say there are some weeks where I don't pay the allowance and the next week I give them two weeks worth. So we're, we're not always like super dialed into like 8am on a Saturday morning. Here's your $9 or something. Um, but we do keep track of it. And, uh, we pay them cash. I try to just take out cash when I'm at the grocery store so that I have some on hand to be able to give them their allowance. They usually have ones or something. So if I need change, you know, the 10 year old, I give him a 10 and he usually has a dollar bill that he can give me back. So they're also learning that transaction sort of like based on how I'm paying them in cash. Like I only have a 20. Do you guys have change for a 20? And they have to figure that out. Um, so it's just one more way for them to sort of be involved in the process and understand how to use money effectively that way. Um, but I, I mean, it's been amazing because they can really see, wow, I get 40 or $50 a month. Like that's a lot of money for a kid their age, but they also are expected to buy any of the own, their own toys that they want. They, you know, if the ice cream truck comes, they're using their own money to go run out and get it. They buy each other, you know, birthday presents and Christmas presents. We don't buy it for them and put the kid's name on it. Like they have to choose what they're doing with their own money. We also have the expectation that they will save at least $10 every month. So that is part of like what we're teaching them to be responsible with their money is right now they have to choose like save $10. They give it back to us and we put it into an account for them. Um, and they sometimes choose $15 or $20. If they see they've got a lot that's growing in their wallet or safe, they'll give us more than that $10 because they're like, Oh, I have a lot right now. How about I give you more to save? Which is, I love that. Yeah, that is really cool. That is really cool. So here's a question that somebody listening might be wondering, they might be thinking, well, right now I don't have room in my budget to do $9 a week and $12 a week and things like that. And just because that's Jill's number doesn't mean that has to be your number, first of all. And the second thing I want you to ask yourself is what we see when we coach a lot of parents is parents who are finding that every time they're going to target, they're spending 15 or $20, you know, a week or a month because that, you know, that dollar section right up front at target gets you every time or Or, you know, right at the checkout, they want candy or a toy or things like that. So thinking of it, not so much as, 
you know, having to spend this extra money, but really just redirecting those dollars and having your kids make the decision about how they're going to save or spend can really help you from a budgetary perspective, figure out how you're going to fit this in. So exactly, exactly. Definitely is a redirection of funds. Like we have to save less for kids expenses and gifts and all of that, because they have their own money to spend on that. Uh, another like good example that happened this year for us is our kids wanted a pet gecko. They have been talking about getting a lizard for a long time. And we said, that's fine. But if you want it, you're buying it. You're getting the, you know, terrarium for it. You're buying all the plants for it. You're buying the gecko itself, the heat lamp, all of the food will be your responsibility to cover. Once you have it, if the gecko doesn't get fed, then the gecko has gone. Like they knew going into it, what the expectation was. They saved $200 to buy all of the things that they needed for it. And every week they buy their own crickets and, you know, all of that. So they're really learning how to use their money for those big things. Now, if we just were saying, yes, we're going to buy a new pet for our household, we would have had to spend that $200 and $5 every week for the food and like all of the different things that they want for it. So it really is reallocating your money, allowing them to be responsible, to learn how to use money effectively. And as your children grow, you want to continue to put more and more and more responsibility on them versus you as the parent. So what that might look like, for example, neither of our kids have a cell phone yet, but my oldest, you know, he's 12 years old now. And as he's getting into middle school or high school, for sure, I know we'll be introducing a cell phone but the expectation will be that he pays for part of that. So that's when we right. add that line on, I don't know how much that's going to be just yet because it's probably a couple of years away, but let's say it's $40 a month. He might have to pitch in $20 or something to help cover that. The idea is that we want our kids to understand how to pay bills and that these things do cost money so that by the time they leave for college, they know how to effectively manage their own money, pay for their own bills. They're not caught totally shocked with all of these new expenses. So as they grow, we likely will reach a point where we don't do a dollar per year, but we'll probably do $20 a week as they enter high school or $25 a week. But with that, they'll have to pay for their own cell phone. They're going to have to pay for their own gas for their vehicle. They'll have to pay for their own entertainment when they're out with friends. If they want to go to the movies, they're not asking mom and dad for 20 bucks. They're using their own money to do that. And part of the reason, you know, it's to teach them how to be effective and all of that, but it's also to protect us as parents from just taking on more and more and more. And I have seen so many clients who feel really heavy with what's happening financially within their families, where I've seen people with cell phone bills of almost $700 a month because they have all of their kids that they're paying for their phones and their lines and all of that. We want to make sure that we're preparing our families to be in a good place where the kids can handle their own bills as they become adults, that we can be in control of what's happening with our own budget also. And that's really what I try to help clients with too. I think that's super smart. I was even just thinking like from a budgetary perspective, if you're doing the same thing every week, you're making that one of your fixed costs now instead of something that might hit you heavy some months and lighter on the other months. And that always makes planning ahead 
so much easier when we can make things consistent and we feel more like we're winning with our money and all of that. The other thing I was going to add, Jill, is what a great lesson to teach them, not just to be responsible for their cash, but also responsible for the life of this little gecko. You know what I mean? Like they have to make sure they have enough money every week to get the crickets for that gecko and everything else. So I think all like really great lessons with yeah. how this is being used. So yeah, way great. to go, super mom. <laughs> um, anything else to add with the allowance component? Any other tips or things like that before we wrap up today? I think that that's probably some of the, you know, big points from it is just that, you know, the kids value things a lot more when they have their own money. They really get to think through their decisions. They get to evaluate what's really important to them. And that's what we as adults want to be doing too. So how wonderful to be able to teach them that as a normal thought process, behavior process from a young age, that we can use allowance to build those behaviors right now, I think is a very cool thing. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Well, you guys definitely mark this as one of your favorite episodes because (laughs) Jill dropped so many truth bombs, so many like good little nuggets, action steps, things you can build in to help you teach your kids responsible money management. And, you know, even as parents, like how to afford things like daycare and, and things that we need to plan ahead for. So thank you, Jill, for sharing all of your expertise with us. And we always love to end our FC beat with a quote. So I have our quote for the month of March, which is being ignorant is not so much a shame as being unwilling to learn. And that was Benjamin Franklin. So one of our great founding fathers, not a president in case anybody thinks he was. I just watched that office episode last night where they cleared that up. Ben Franklin, not a president, but he had lots of good quotes, lots of good wisdom to share with us. So thank you, Ben Franklin, for that. And thank you, Jill, for sharing with us all the answers to our questions we got in our Facebook group this month. It was so great. So good to see all of you again. And we will see you next time here on the FC Beat and our Fiscal Fitness Podcast. Take care, you guys. If you would like more information about how we can help you take the stress out of money with one-on-one financial coaching, please check out our website, www.fiscalfitnessphx.com. And please join our private Facebook group by going to facebook.com slash groups slash fiscal fitness money. And if you have a passion for personal finance and are interested in helping others take the stress out of money by becoming a financial coach, check out our financial coach training program at www.financialcoachacademy.com and join our free Facebook group by searching Facebook for Financial Coaches Unite. We'll see you on the next episode of the Fiscal Fitness Podcast, where we'll help the world take the stress out of money.